I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This week, the Federal Reserve said interest rates will remain close to zero in the U.S. probably through to 2023 at the earliest. Why? Because they don't expect inflation to pick up by then and they expect unemployment to remain well below where it was. So they keep interest rates down to encourage borrowing so companies expand and employ people. Then and only then will inflation pick up. That's the theory because when unemployment gets so low, then we'll start to see wages pick up and that's what's creating inflation. The point at which that happens is called the Nehru. But is there such a mythical beast? And if so, why does it keep on changing? That's today on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. Welcome along. So, Steve, Nehru, the uh, the, the non-accelerating inflation rate of of unemployment. I suspect you're going to enjoy this this episode. This is this is the point at which unemployment. This is the theory. Unemployment becomes so low that, that there's a shortage of workers, so that's going to push up wages, and it's going to lead to inflation. It's the point at which central banks think the economy is running too hot, and they need to push up interest rates. So this is this is important to central banks. The any the any flaw in all of that argument is that nobody is in entirely sure what that rate of Nehru is and it seems to move around all the time and the moment everyone hits it they and, and nothing happens they say oh it must be lower than that mm. and so it goes on and that's a bit of a problem isn't it when you've, you've got a, a definitive measure but you don't you, the only problem is you don't quite know what that measure actually is what's the what's what's the character in um uh, wind in the willows. Is it the wind, the will and the wisp? Willow the wisp. The will, will, will of the wisp. Okay. Mm. Um, it, it's a figment of Milton Friedman's imagination. Yeah. That's what Nehru actually is, and lots of other and, people, and every other central bank. Well, no, he, 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 let's let's get you, let's, let's let's give the the, the kid who dreamt up the fantasy the first time around his view. It was Milton's dream, <laughs> right? Uh, because Milton was trying to destroy uh, what he saw as Keynesian economics, which, in fact, when you look at it, was actually Samuelsonian economics that dominated America from the nineteen forties to the nineteen sixties, and he, in typical Milton Friedman fashion redefined what uh, uh, allegedly Keynesian economics was about. Because um, if, you, if you look at um, the way that uh, Hicks characterised Keynes, he got him completely very, very badly wrong in the main. But there's a grain of truth to it, and that's what the, the Hicks described Keynesian economics as the economics of depression. If you're in a depression, how do you get out of it? Mm. That was the... That was what was novel about Keynes because initially the, the mainstream economists thought you couldn't get into a depression because uh, der equilibrium, therefore, no such thing as depression. Right. Um, ignoring the historical experience of the 1800s, but that's another story. Uh, but anyway, uh, the, the, you can, to some degree, that completely destroying what Keynes actually spoke about, you can say he was giving advice about how to get out of a depression right. when you have involuntary unemployment. So there's less work 
available, then there are people who want to do the work at the going wage, and that's what Keynes uses his definition of involuntary right. unemployment. So people willing to work for the wage during age, they can't get a job. So Friedman was arguing that was only a short-term thing, though. So we, we only... No, Friedman arguing it didn't exist. All oh, right, Okay. Okay, we're back in the classical world again. Mm. He dreamt up, and this, I mean, his, you know, the old, he'll actually, oh, that's the word I can search for. I searched for the wrong word when I was searching through uh, Milton before we began this podcast. So bear with me doing my usual thing of trying to do two <laughs> we'll things just at talk once ourselves. and see if I can pull it off. Uh, but if, if I, if I search for under, in Friedman for helicopter, this is where the concept of helicopter money came up. Mm. And what Friedman did was, was imagine a, uh, a world in which, uh, there was full employment. That's the starting point, right. okay? You have full employment. And in that fully employed world, uh, there's 1,000 pieces of paper that are called $1 each. And those pieces of paper turn over, I think it was, I think he had a rate of circulation of 12 times a year. Mm-hmm. And that turnover of money is what created um, the level of economic activity. And you were already starting at the point where the economy was in long-run equilibrium, okay? Everybody who wanted a job had, had a job. Yeah. Okay, you're right. And he didn't say what the government is trying to do is to push the level of employment below the natural, non-accelerating inflation rate of unemployment. Okay? Now, that's not at all what was being attempted under Keynesian policy. You said there was involuntary unemployment. You had people who wanted a job and couldn't get it. The economy was operating well below capacity. So the government, the, the role of the government in the, in the broadly speaking Keynesian framework was to provide additional aggregate demand so that you eliminated involuntary unemployment. Yeah. Instead, Friedman starts on the point of saying you're already at equilibrium mm. and the government's trying to drive it lower. Mm. Okay, so it's it, it's uh, you know I'll, I'll let you dive into the question there, but that's that's the framework that Friedman began with. Well, I mean, you know, going back to my first question, no one actually is really quite sure what that uh, what that involuntary level of uh, of unemployment is in any case, because we you know in the United States, if you looked at uh, the, the the Fed Board of Governors, for example, if you look at the history of what their estimates are uh, in the United mm. States, they had now at uh, you know at over seven percent in the nineteen eighties. And, mm. uh, you know, last year it was unemployment was getting down to three and a half percent in the United States. Now you can argue the statistics, but I mean, the, you know, the, the, the approach hasn't, hasn't changed since, since the eighties and how it's collected. So you've got it down to three and a half percent and still inflation is not picking up. So that sort of makes you wonder about the theory behind it all. And that, and that really is, I think what has led to a couple of weeks ago, the Federal Reserve in the United States saying, well, we're going to let the economy run hot. We're going to, uh, uh, you know, we've been targeting 2% inflation. Uh, sorry, 2%. Yeah, we've been targeting 2% inflation. We'll let inflation get a bit higher than that. We'll let it get, you know, maybe mm. even up to up to 3% before we start to move interest rates. Th- that'll allow us to focus on, on unemployment. That's almost an admission, isn't it, that none of this is working. Yeah, I mean, and that's why I use the expression from the wind of the will as the will of the wisp. Mm. You're chasing something which is a figment of somebody's imagination. Yeah. Um, and that's the whole, that's why it could never be tied down and defined because when, when, a, when a physicist or an engineer defines something like mass or weight or acceleration, there's a set, uh, there's a set mechanics behind its definition, which is true in the reference frame and, and true in, in general. Uh, economists come up with these damn things and they're fantasies. And then they try to measure what's the level of the fantasy in the real world. But of course, it never ties it down. Right. So, but are you saying that in that case, there isn't a natural level of unemployment? There's not a, po- there a point. There isn't. So, no, uh, no. Except for zero. 
So, well, see, the, we could, we could, the, the capitalism is a cyclical system. Mm. And this is, this is the point which neoclassicals don't want to get their heads around because they have this vision of reaching equilibrium. And so all the thinking is about this perfect equilibrium point. And they're, they're ideologically biased in favor of equilibrium because then they can say that you've reached a point where nobody can be made better off without making somebody else worse off. And that's then a social ideal. And as much as they claim to be, you know, you know um, value free, uh, there's ideology just through all their expressions, perfect equilibrium, um, you know, uh, uh, optimality, et cetera, et cetera. They're, they're trying to describe capitalism as a system which achieves some level of perfection. And uh, you can only have perfection if you don't have cycles. Now, I could make you into something perfect. I could stop you having cycles. That would involve killing you and freezing you to absolute zero. Right. Would you like that? <laughs> well, if it makes me perfect... You know. Well, there you go. I've always wanted that. Their definition of perfection is nonsense. It's, mm. it's the perfection of a, non, of, a, of a dead system. Right. But I mean, but, like, but, I the, but, the, but the idea that you're going to, unemployment is going to get so low that it's mm. largely structural. So you've got, uh, everyone's got a job apart from mm-hmm. those people who are, are, are qualified as plumbers and we've got enough plumbers, therefore those plumbers are going to find it hard to find work. I mean, yeah, you're going to get a point, aren't you, which, which you know, that, you know, you, you can't get down to zero on, on unemployment, can you? Well, you could buy policy, things like the, the job guarantee idea like that. Mm. But in terms of a cyclical capitalist system, no, it's never going to stop moving. And this is, right. it isn't, this is the, the whole thing about Nehru, it's supposed to be another that doesn't change. Mm. And that's the even idea of the vision of equilibrium. Yeah. Pardon? Even though it has, even though the central yeah. banks have well, been it, changing it, it, it every, yeah, every and year. And that's, for the that's, last that's decade, the point. Three, the, decades. Yeah. Capitalism is a dynamic system, mm. and the vision that it reaches equilibrium is simply a fallacy about how a dynamic system behaves. Right. A dynamic system of capitalism is subject to external forcing, and the external forcing is that little thing in the sun that you occasionally see, this guy in the UK, you see in the UK, called the sun. You're getting more acquainted with it and as, as global warming comes your way, but that, that energy source coming in is what we all effectively mine on the planet to turn into, you know, both life and goods and services and our capitalist economy. And we're always fighting over the distribution of income. And if you have a rise in the number of people who've got a job, there's more likely to be um, uh, less people available to work, whether you have unions demanding wage rises or employers trying to steal workers from each other, you're going to get a change in that value. So it's going to be cyclical. And uh, and this this whole mm. belief that there's some stable you're chasing something you you're trying to nail down something that that shouldn't be nailed down. Well, you know the you know, have you ever seen the engineer's flowchart? No, does it move? Oh, oh yeah, okay. oh for sure, okay. yeah, like, yes, a, like no. a gang okay, chart. Okay. Absolutely, should it yeah. move? Yeah. Uh, yes or no? Okay, if yeah. it's, it should move, yes, you use WD forty. Yeah, well, economists will also say using gaffer tape and they're trying to tie it down. It's supposed to move, guys. Yeah. All right. Okay. And it moves because of uh, changes in the broader economy, but uh, but also the the structural makeup of, of work, I guess, and the need to retrain and the delays in all of that, changes in demographics, yeah. the whole load of factors with you, which are going into yeah. that. So, so the, 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 the feedback, it's a dynamic system mm. uh, between you know, level of output, level of income distribution, level of debt. Uh, they all they all play on each other. It's always going to be moving, and um, the cyclicality you have to accept that initially and give up on the idea you can get it st- stop it moving. So does that mean then that well two things the Phillips curve does that mean we mm. can completely discount that now because I mean no. That- <laughs> 
Okay, well, so we'll come on to that. But also, does it does it mean that the idea of of Nauru is? I mean, the, the central banks just shouldn't focus on that number. I mean, it, it should it, be I, thrown out right with the bathwater. So yeah. we'll come back to the Phillips curve in a sec. So they, mm. but but they have but they have to focus on employment, don't they? I mean, that is an important yeah. part of what they're doing. So how do yeah. what do and you know they've got to have goals. What what do they work towards? Well, first of all, accept that it's cyclical. Uh, this, this is this, if you go back to seeing Phillips, and Phillips is a, a, one of the geniuses of economics who has been neglected and distorted by the mainstream. Mm. But Phillips was an engineer, New Zealander engineer, as it happens, um, who took cross concepts from electronics into economics and designed a circuit, the very first circuit diagram of, of capitalism back in the 1950s. And as part of it said, there'll be a tendency for prices to rise when there's extreme pressure on resources, which he defined pretty broadly as both raw materials, input and labor. Right. And said that therefore you're going to get an effect, which is a, 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 a very nonlinear relationship between the level of economic activity and the rate of change of, uh, Factor prices said in general, um, meaning largely labor and raw materials. No. And so he drew that shape. He literally hand drew it. And, and that's that been translated article. though, hasn't it? To be just labor. I mean, that has. It, well, that- uh, yeah, but yeah. But be, what, what, what he, Phillips made one huge mistake. And that is, well, not you. If he's in, if he's, he's used to working with engineers mm. who look at something and then will take the idea and refine it and improve it. He did it to economists who just bastardized it completely. So he, he took, he, he, by, by arguing there's some relationship between the level of economic activity and the rate of change of factor prices, he then went looking for the level of rate of economic growth and uh, sorry, the level of unemployment and the rate of change of money wages. That's the relationship he looked at. And he managed to pull together about four or five data series because the, the data wasn't formally recorded until the uh, 1940s uh, from, from trade unions and stuff like that, made a date. I think he had data from 1867 until ni- until 1967, pretty much a century. No, 57, 90 years. And um, he fitted the data to the to one one part of it by breaking the annual data he had for the unemployment rate and the rate of change of money wages into seven numbers, literally just seven numbers, seven pairs of numbers, and then he drew a curve through it and fitted the curve to a, a, a hyperbolic function. And that's what became the Phillips curve. Right. And, uh, and he actually, when you look at the verbal explanation he gave, he said there are three factors which can influence the rate of change of money wages. One is the level of unemployment. And that's all that goes into the Phillips curve. But he said the second is the rate of change of unemployment. If unemployment's rising, workers are less likely to, to demand wage rises. Okay, and mm-hmm. of course, firms are less likely to So that's the, the it's the level, the rate of change, and he then said also cost push inflation acting through effectively through largely through what he thought were changes in um, in trade and no. tariffs and access to the uh, mainland. Of course, we had two world wars in the data he was looking at. That is a far so more that, three that, factors, right? Which is much more he sophisticated had, than that graph that we see, which is basically yeah, saying right. if there's not many jobs around, then people can't yeah. push for wage increases. Yeah. And if there's lots and there's of no, jobs... And there's, 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 there's no way that he could have done a sophisticated three-factor mm. statistical fit because in the end, he had seven numbers. Yeah. If you have three factors for seven numbers, you can draw anything. Mm. So it wasn't his fault 
mm. that he um, just reduced it just to the level of unemployment. That's all he could use. But in the full sense of the word, his vision is the level of unemployment, the rate of change, yeah. and the and the feedback effect between price raises and, and money wages. Right. And we, we're seeing that now, of course. We're seeing, you know, there's a big rate of change in unemployment. Uh, mm. Nobody is going to, you know, and we're, and we're getting deflation. Nobody's going to be asking no. for a, a wage increase right now because no. everyone's sitting back thinking, oh, my God, I'm just so glad I've still got a job. That's right. And, 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 and of course, we've also broken the backs of the trade unions in the meantime. Yeah. So they're not about to go bargaining there. So, um, you know, you, you, you have a world which is completely different to the world in which Nehru would exist. Mm. Uh, and the whole Nehru, the point about the accelerating side of that, but I might as well explain that for people who haven't suffered through reading any of Milton Friedman's nonsense. Uh, <laughs> but what he argued was you had this, uh, this is where the helicopter money idea came in. So he had this idea of a fixed amount of money. There were 1,000 yeah. uh, $1 notes circulating in this economy. I think he had it circulating 12 times a year. So $1,000. Dollars created $12,000 per year of GDP. Then a helicopter flies over the top of the country, okay? And that moves the stick from $1,001 notes to $2,001 notes. And by increasing the amount of money, people run around and pick up the money and they think, oh, there's more demand out there and they go shopping because they, they want to have a certain, I think, I think he wants to have, they want to have one twelfth of a year's expenditure in their pocket at any particular time. Mm -hmm. That's the amount of money, something like that. Yeah. And then suddenly they've got, they've got one six. Well, they spend it to get back to one twelfth again. That causes inflation. Mm. And then you go to a higher price level. And then what he had was not just a single helicopter flying over, but this is, you know, apocalypse now. A whole flying plane. Hey, I've got the landscape here. Flying over the landscape, flying over the landscape, <laughs> dropping money out, you know. And, and, that's, and that's going to, I mean, that people get adjusted to a rate of inflation occurring. Mm. And, but it's all an equal equilibrium. Again, he's presuming the market's in equal, the economy's in equilibrium. And why are prices rising? Because people expect the helicopters to fall over and they're automatically putting up their prices, even though all markets are in equilibrium. It is a delusional load of twat, twaddle. But no. that's, that's, and then here comes this idea of Nehru and you get 40 years of poor bloody neoclassically trained economists who don't realize where this garbage comes from that spend their time trying to chase the will of the wind. So do what you, I don't know how closely you've been following the Fed, but they've had, uh, a, a one-year appraisal of their of their monetary policy, and the upshot mm. of it seems to uh, it seems to be very slight. In that they've said, you know, we've been targeting an arrow rate of, of, of two, uh, sorry, an inflation rate, I should say, of uh, mm. of, of two percent, and now mm. we're going to uh, we're going to be a little bit more, you know, rough around the edges on that. We might like go up to three percent. We'll allow it to be symmetrical. So it's been mm. below two percent for a long time. So we can probably accept that it'll go uh, above two percent for quite a while before we feel mm. that we have to have to move interest rates that's sort of like an admission of the fact that they don't really know why inflation isn't going anywhere it's it's not going to go to two percent in a hurry it's certainly not going to go to three mm. percent possibly in yours and my lifetime steve it's possible isn't it that mm. we're going to be stuck uh, uh with with very low inflation and and yeah. they've said on you know in terms of jobs uh, that'll allow us to uh you know to to focus more on trying to get jobs back so that's like a saying, well, okay, isn't it? And an admission that Nauru is wrong. Um, we don't know what it is. Uh, we're going to get it, you know, we're going to get it wrong. And if it means that we see a, a rise in inflation because we've focused too hard on trying to get uh, productive jobs back, 
then then so be it. Isn't that doesn't that sound like you an, an admission? They're just saying, oh, it's just a small thing. We're just we're just changing our inflation target. But beneath all that, I just wonder whether they're saying, yeah, and that is because we have no, we have no idea at what point inflation is going to kick in because there's uh, because the the economy is running too hot because we've, we've we've because of the job number. I, th- I think that's but that's pretty realistic. They 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 you know um, you have have a bunch of people yeah. following a theory which is wrong. What you it's effectively there there are people wandering around the desert with a map saying X marks the spot, and X keeps on moving. Each time they dig up a hole where the X is supposed yeah. to be, there's nothing in the sand, and they're finally going to say, "Say, well, maybe mm. this map's useless, so we're going to, you know, maybe, uh, uh, you know, move, uh, change what we're doing and see what happens." Uh, they're finally uh, doing experimental economics mm. on the entire American economy rather than following a fundamentally fallacious theory that they think should work because they have no other idea of how to draw a map. Yeah, never mark an X on, on, on sand in the desert because it does blow away mm. and move around. Yeah, I think that's that's very true. So what does the – so the, the Fed is also saying, you know, that we uh, we need to look more at income equality in the United States as well. Mm. And I'm not quite sure how. I mean, they've got pretty much a blunt instrument, haven't they? I mean, they uh, – unemployment rates vary by sector, by income brackets. What you know, what what mm. can the Fed do? I mean, that really is government policy, isn't it, to try and tackle it really that? Is, sort of, that's, that's, that's treasury taxes, policy. Yeah, fiscal I mean, stimulus, they, they, employment they, they, regulations, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, but the Fed has made things worse through QE. And this is, I mean, in that sense, they really can take the blame here and they should because, again, if you read the original documents from Ben Bernanke on why he was undertaking QE, it was because he thought it caused the wealth effect. He was going to increase the price of stocks, make people feel wealthier. They would then consume out of their wealth as well as out of their income, and that would boost the economy. Uh, never even considering, if he did, it was uh, pretty juvenile. Um, well, who has shares? The working class? Mm. No, they can kiss my ass, as the old song goes. Uh, they've got no money at all. They've, got no, they've certainly haven't got much in the way of shares. It benefits the wealthy. Do the wealthy spend a lot of their money? No, uh, but that's where it wins. So it's trying to boost the economy by boosting the wealthy when they'd already been boosted by the by the preceding stock market bubble and the level of credit. So the Fed has made made made. Um, um, inequality worse. And the only way they can really go about fixing it up is by reducing share prices, which they're not about to do, yeah. or by doing something that directly provides money for ordinary people, which is what I wish they would do. Yeah. Well, I mean, certainly share price. I mean, share prices are nuts in the United States. I mean, don't they know there's a pandem- pandemic on? We've got almost every day record- a record-breaking share price happening. Well, yeah, that, that, that is a topic for another day again, but that appears to be uh, just a range of effective um, uh, trades that are, are taking yeah. place in the, in, in the, um, the options market. Well, it's, a lot of it is uh, the retail. I mean, it is a topic for another day, but a lot of it is the yeah. retail market rather than uh, institutional investors moving in. It's it's people who've uh, you know perhaps got a bit of money because they are not spending it on train fares or whatever, got a bit of spare cash, so they're putting it into speculative investments in share prices. So there's day traders. Uh, yeah, it's going to it's going to yeah. come down. It's going to come falling down, isn't it? Mm. So, mm. but you know, on this on this income distribution thing, um, you know, I mean, Donald Trump's been arguing, and he is right on this. It depends, you know, you can twist statistics, but uh, before the pandemic, black unemployment in America was down to 5.1%, which is the lowest it's been since 1979, 1975, and it's well down on 19%, which is where it was in 2010. So mm. how much of that, you know, that blunt instrument of low interest rates, encouraging investment and creating jobs 
it's been doing something, hasn't it? Yeah, and then that's again, that's one of the I think modern monetary theory arguments. If you're providing that stimulus to demand of the economy, uh, it's going to largely go into people's wages and salaries, mm. and uh, and it's more it'll boost the low end of town more than it boosts the high end of town. So deficit spending uh, is a much more effective policy than QE. But is this deficit spending, or is it just the fact that interest rates are so low? Oh, it's both. I mean, mm. it, it, it's. Uh, you know, it's but the interest rates themselves um, don't the low interest rates don't stimulate investment. This is one of the problems that again there were mainstream way of thinking, and this is where Hicks is responsible. Hicks uh, bastardized the general theory. He actually what he called was the his, his ISLM model, which he called was a model of Keynes. He actually wrote in 1935 before he before Keynes wrote the general theory, let alone before Hicks himself read the general theory. And as part of that, he had a future which was absolutely known. Uh, so people who knew, knew had a perfect perfect foresight, another one of these ludicrous concepts in mainstream economics. With perfect foresight, you know what's the you know what's going to work as investments in two thousand years. Um, so the only thing that can change how much you're going to invest is the rate of interest because that reduces the net present value of future gains. Mm. So investment was entirely controlled by the interest rate. Uh, now in Keynes, it was controlled by expectations of future profit, much more volatile. So if you say interest rates are the only thing determining investment, you're living in a world where you know the future. Okay. Now yeah. we don't live in that world. We live where you don't know the future. So interest rates are irrelevant compared to expectations. So when you've got central, profit. so when you've got central banks that were saying, you know, well, our our, our job is to make sure the economy is uh, is is not running too hot. We're going to do that by controlling mm-hmm. interest rates, mm-hmm. and we're also going to keep an eye on inflation. Now, uh, uh, on unemployment, I should say, and unemployment numbers. Mm-hmm. Now, saying, well, actually, we're going to focus a lot more on unemployment, and we're going to let, be a little less concerned about the other factors because we think they may be driven off that. If if that's the approach which is which is being taken now. I mean, I just wonder about what that means for the independence of central banks, because as we've just been saying, a lot of that is actually the job of governments to do. And a lot of it, it's hard to do with the blunt instruments that that, that central banks have got available yeah. to them. I'm just wondering I mean, whether, the whole- and, and, we've, and we've seen lately anyway, you know, that, that, that the whole independence between the Treasury and central banks, they're, they're having to work together to get their way through this uh, COVID crisis. So yeah. isn't this an example of the fact that they cannot be independent? They need to work together to get an effective result. That's true. And this is, again, modern monetary theory's argument that the Federal Reserve is is a branch of government. And Mm. the whole idea that central bank independence is a good idea basically had two sides to it. One is when you, when you had high inflation and you, and you believe that you could reduce it by putting up interest rates, then the people making those decisions were politicians and they didn't enjoy doing unpopular stuff. So politicians were quite happy to hand that responsibility over to the central bank if the central bank insisted upon it. But the central bank at the same time was staffed by people who believed you could control inflation and everything else using the interest rate. Now we've down, we had 40 years of doing that and look where they are. They've got to admit they can't control anything. Um, so in some ways it's learning by experience once more and saying, well, maybe we should work with the government a bit more, uh, because effectively we've tried 40 years of what the theory told us would work and it hasn't. So the, the, when you look at trying to change the structure of employment, I mean, the big issues we've been facing, obviously it's, um, you know, it's the income divide, the fact that, uh, unemployment is much higher in lower income groups. Well, it stands to reason that's part of the reason they're a lower income group lots of the time because they don't have a job. 
but then you've also got uh, long-term unemployment, you've got youth unemployment. If you look at all of those factors, they have actually been improving over the last uh, 10 years, and not just in America, but all over the world. So it, so if you look at youth unemployment, let's look at Australia, for example, around 12% mm. in the, uh, in, the uh, in the last decade. Actually, it's got um, it's over sixteen percent now with the with the coronavirus, but it was tracking down. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the UK, it got as high as twenty two percent in two thousand and twelve, but it's it's been going down. And long term unemployment, we've seen that decreasing as well. So it was over four percent at the uh, at the time of the GFC. It's down to below one percent. The same in the UK, except it never got as high as four percent in the UK, but it's down uh, around one percent mm-hmm. now. So all of those factors. You know, looking at the distribution of, of jobs, looking at, uh, according to income, looking at uh, youth unemployment and, um, uh, you know, and, and what was the other one I was talking about? All those mm. factors are, are all improving over the last decade. So what's driving that? Well, largely, again, QE is, is not entirely an effective policy. Uh, with QE, you create lots of money on the finance sector, but some of it has to dribble into the middle economy. So there has been a boost right. in that sense. Even you've also had governments running deficits, um, even though they they protest about mm. it, they've still been doing it. So there's government spending, there's government money spending and creation coming in that way. And after the initial collapse of credit in the financial crisis, uh, you're back to some moderate levels of credit. So you've got three factors giving you monetary demand and you still have the overall, though it's much lower than it was in the 50s and 60s, rate of technological innovation and capitalism giving you some real growth as well. Um, but well, I think I think the real crunch we're facing now is something which is irrelevant. It was independent of all those and that's access to energy and the capacity to use energy in global warming. And I think we're hitting a crunch point yeah. now with that where we, we're going to have to go backwards. Uh, we've grown, in that sense, there's been too much growth uh, and we're going to be forced by global warming, uh, whether it's peaceful or violent, to reduce the level of our human uh, output drastically. And that's going to really bring the, un- the inequality and, uh, and access to resources issues absolutely to the fore. Which then gets the question there. We moved a little bit off Nauru now, haven't we? But it just, you know, the, the general question about how do you run an efficient economy then to make the best out of resources, whether they are resources that are coming from the sun or whether they're human resources. Uh, how do you, you know, what is the body that manages that to ensure that that is being done efficiently rather than just the, the broader economy? Is it the role of the Treasury? Is well, it the role of the central bank? Who does that? Well, you've got to allow a certain amount of a spontaneous order. Hayek's comment about what capitalism has, which is a real strength, and that's the the complex system Mm. that capitalism gives you that gives you a large part of its growth. Um, You also need a government that knows what its actual role is, which where modern monetary theory is a sensible uh, contribution. You've got to recognise the role of credit, which, again, we haven't incorporated into economic theory. So we've got people making policy decisions who don't understand government money, don't understand don't understand credit. And when it comes to where growth comes from, don't understand energy either. So it's hardly any wonder we're scratching our heads most of the time. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think we're going to be... We've, we've had an appalling um, warm-up for what is coming our way through climate change. And in the middle of that, we're going to realise we just can't afford to be as ignorant as we have been about how our economy operates and how it's part of the ecology. So, mm-hmm. um, you, you do have to make policy decisions at a global scale, and we haven't done that either. And, you know, if we are getting big problems coming with, with climate change, then we're going to hit bigger problems as well with 
diversity of uh, of the economy, aren't we? Diversity of income in that you know the poorer people are going to hit be hit the hardest. But um, and we I, can't afford that. I mean, people, we can't afford that. that yeah, pop, pop, I mean, I think we saw the impact of of just how bad that could be with the Gilets Jaunes movement in France, because that was mm. you know a stent that was triggered by um, Macron putting up a, a tax on diesel. Uh, as, as to address global warming, yeah. and that caused riots amongst the working class and the, and the self-employed. Because they couldn't afford it. They couldn't yeah. afford it. You, you, so, the, the burdens of, of climate change cannot fall on the poor. Period. So, isn't this? So, doesn't this get to the problem that that time and time again, uh, central banks and uh, and treasuries and economists generally, society at large, t- tends to like one number. So we look at, uh, so we're looking at that, the Nauru number and saying, well, okay, that mm. that, that is the, the percentage that we're going to accept as the as the top level of, uh, you know, the, or the bottom level of, of employment, the point at which we start to see inflation. Now you could, you know, e- even if you did accept that that was a concept, it's going to be different for different groups of people, but we aggregate it into one number and it's going to be less for rich and more for, uh, you know, m- more for, uh, for manual uh, workers. Similarly, if we look at GDP, you know, should we break GDP into, for example, into income brackets and see how much each group is contributing so we can mm. identify within that number where consumption is falling, where productivity is falling? Uh, you know, do we, we need to start breaking up some of these numbers, don't we, so we can see what's really going on? We do, yeah. And that's a good point. I mean, what, 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 there is this mechanical desire amongst humans to have a single mm. number, one number, one ring to rule them all, sort of Lord of the Rung, Lord of the Rung, as opposed to Lord of the Rings. <laughs> um, and, and that tends to dominate how we think. And during, in the Keynesian, what were called the Keynesian days when people bastardized the Phillips curve, and Phillips made the mistake of using this language himself, yeah. I must say. He talked about a menu. You could actually choose where you want to be on the unemployment inflation curve, which was the biggest mistake he ever made to make that comment. And that's how it was interpreted. You know, when you choose your combination of numbers. Um, uh, and then we had the Nehru, you know, choose, choose your unemployment rate. Um, it, we, we have to understand that we live in an extremely complex system and you can't reduce it to one number and you have to see how parts of your system interact with others. And thinking about the economy and the, and the, and the ecology is interacting complex systems. Uh, it's not one number. It's, a, it's, it's, the, it's the, in a sense, it's the long-term viability of that that matter more than anything else. And that's the last thing we're focused on, unfortunately. So if you were, final question then today, if you were on the, uh, imagine this, if you were on the Fed board, <laughs> can you imagine all those central bankers there meeting and in the middle of them all is Steve Keane. I wear um, my leather jacket again just for fun. <laughs> yeah, wear that too. Um, and no. um, and put on a dress maybe, just, you know, be really esoteric. No, come on, there's already been beaten to that by, by Janet. <laughs> that's true, yeah. But, you know, for a bloke doing it, you know, just create a few waves. But if you, uh, if you were going through a period of one year a review, which is what they've been going through of monetary policy to come out mm. the other end about what's going to change. What would you have been saying if you're looking at, you know, incremental steps that I mean, because you, you might well say, well, I, you know, I think our monetary policy review should should abolish us and we shouldn't have central banks anymore. and We should just be an arm of the government. But if you're looking for. Um, I, I would make you- sure that by the time I had one year there, I'd make sure by the time I left, they had central bank digital currencies implemented so that everybody in the country, if everybody in the country had an account at the central bank. 
And right. I'd set up in such a way that you could you could manipulate what whether whether that was money was put inside there or whether carbon rations were put inside there. Because my real, mm. uh, if I think anything we desperately need, it's a way of reducing carbon consumption as fast as possible, right. and carbon rationing is the way to go about it. So I would set up a digital. Uh, currency in the bank and give everybody a bank account and be ready for what comes next because without that we'll be in total chaos and unfortunately I think we are going to be in total chaos right I did say baby steps but that's fine uh, the, the, um, that seems like quite a big step but we'll, we'll accept no, that a pre- <laughs> and uh, but a small step compared to what's coming I'm sure that's what mm. your point okay and that their the focus on on employment what should they what should they be doing there if, if they if they if we, if we're accepting the fact that Nauru is is not a steady number, what should they be looking at? Well, I mean, again, we've got to think outside the world in which the environment is, is closing in on us. And um, you know, if you didn't have the environmental crisis, then you'd simply want to have a, a level of a volunteer of, of, of a high level of private sector employment. Um, but accept its volatility and have a job guarantee as a way of meaning it. If the, if the mm. level of activity in the private sector falls, people don't uh, don't lose either employment capability or income uh, as much as they do at the moment. So, yeah, uh, I'd, yeah, that in, makes in that sense. sense so like, yeah. I'm I'm a fan of the universal basic income as well. But I think the 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 job guarantee component of MMT um, is an important idea. If we had that then unemployment would not be quite as disastrous as it is right now for individuals and yeah. for society. And, and in fact, you know, you could argue, couldn't you, the other way, because if, it, you know, it is what's happening right now, because if, if central banks say, okay, we, well, we think we're at uh, the, the lowest level of employment possible and we're not, and their response to that is to push up interest rates, they will slow down the economy and take away jobs from even more people, as well as not mm. finding jobs for those people who'd been looking for them previously. So they'd be making the situation worse. Mm. Yep. That's not what we want from our central bank. All right. Very good. So it's. An, I think we've concluded it's a nonsense. Good to talk, Steve. We'll catch you again next okay. time. Thank you. Okay, mate. Bye-bye. Nehru is a nonsense. That's basically the conclusion of the last th- 35 minutes or so, but central banks will hang on to it. That's it for today. That's the Debunking Economics Podcast. I'm Phil Dobby, back again with Steve Keen next week. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.